Thank you for listening to Life Church Lithia. At Life Church, you belong before you believe. Tune in today for a life-changing message from our lead pastor, Gio Munoz. It's an honor, like I said, to have you guys here today. And we've been in a series for the last few weeks, uh, actually for about six weeks now, which is rediscovering what it looks like to build a house for worship. And we've talked about how there are many different people who build churches many different ways. And we're not here to tell every, every other person what is the right way to build a church. We're here to discover what is the right way for this church. And so for this church, we, we have decided and we, we have heard from the Lord that we are a house that is built for worship. That worship is not a byproduct of anything. It is the goal. It is the end game. That we would come into this place and that we would realize that worship is more than a 30-minute segment. That it's more than four or three songs with a nice tag at the end. It's even more than, than, than feeling emotional. You understand? Because sometimes we categorize success in worship by our emotions. Meaning this. We come into a worship set and if we were at some point moved to tears, we're like, that was good. Like the worship band did a good job today <laughs> because I felt some kind of emotion happening. But the truth is, worship is a lot more than that. And we explored last week how worship is a lifestyle, that there is no part of your life that is not as of worship unto the Lord, yeah. that the way I talk, the way I walk, the way I live, the way I, the way I believe, the way I perceive, all of it, all of it serves as an offering unto the Lord. And so it's important that we, that, we, that we pay attention and we see the motive, right? Say motive. Motive is super important. Why is motive important? Because if you've been in church, I've been saved 10 years now. And since I've given my life to the Lord, I've realized that there have been times where I have been in church where I have been motivated to do things based off of it was routine. So I know by the third song, that's when I'm really supposed to go in. Like the first song is excited and we're jumping. And, but the third song, you better stop it. <laughs> this is my time. Like me and this is when we connect. And I began to realize even more as we were building a church, I began to ask the question, why? Like why should I waste 20 minutes of our time to really press in to what was fully available to me the whole time? Like, as a church, what would it look like from the very first note, from the moment the announcements were done and that, that commission, that invitation to enter in, why could we not just come into his presence and just fully engage with him? That's what worship is about. It's that you would yoke yourself to him and that you would live a life of intimacy. It's been, it's been one of the cornerstones of our church to, to let you know that without intimacy, there can be no fruit. Now you say, well, I don't, I don't really care about fruit. Yes, you do. You really, really do. Because lots of people, they come into church disappointed. They come into church deflated. All these different feelings and emotions. And they feel discouraged and they don't know why. They feel like life, life is just happening. But here's the truth. Life is always going to happen. It's never going to stop. Like, I don't know if there's ever going to come a point in my life where I'm not going to have some kind of a struggle. The only times in my life I haven't had struggle is when I'm not pursuing kingdom. When I'm complacent, when I'm stagnant, when I don't care about anything but watching Netflix and hanging out, playing video games. Those are the moments where, where I feel like, oh, nothing's really going on. But the moment I begin to pursue him with my whole heart, 
you better know that there will be opposition. And so people come into this place and they feel all these kinds of emotions. And I'm here to tell you the discouragement is not because of the situation. The discouragement is because you see a lack of fruit. If you were going through tough seasons in your life, but you can still point to different areas of your life where you were see life sprouting up, it would make it much easier. I'm telling you the truth. When you find this intimacy with Jesus, you would give anything to protect it. Now, I understand if somebody hands you religion, if somebody hands you a set of rules and regulations, if somebody hands you what Christianity should look like, it would be easy to throw that away. But the moment Jesus fully comes into your heart, everything else pales in comparison. That's why when Jesus was talking and there were some that wanted to be his disciples, he made a stark contrast. I want to be your disciple, but I have to go bury. And if you read this dialogue, it would almost look like Jesus was being rude. Let the dead bury the dead. Now, you read over that, and you're like, oh, whatever. But to that guy, that was freaking rude. (laughs) Because in his heart, he sincerely felt, I want to follow him. And Jesus is saying, you better count the cost. It's not about not caring about relatives. It's not about, listen, it's not about, I have no family, forsake your family. What he's showing is that everything in your life has to pale. It has to be lesser than this. And so you have to understand what you're signing up for. How do, what does this have to do with worship? Everything. <laughs> Everything. Because for far too long, the church has been this vehicle whereby you come in frustrated and we try to help you cope with your frustration. So we do the right songs that might make you cry and maybe once you cry, you open your heart and then maybe we can encourage your heart to help you suffer another week. Is anybody else tired of that? I was saved six years, and I found myself in cycles and in cycles and in cycles. I came to church. I sang the songs. I yelled louder than anybody else. I've been preaching like my hair is on fire for eight eight years now. You understand that you can get to a point in your faith if you don't keep the main thing the main thing where you become so frustrated you don't even believe what you say. You could even be in the presence of Jesus, and it doesn't mean your heart won't be changed. How do I know that? Because Judas was with him every single day. If being in the presence of the glory changed your heart without you opening it, Judas would have never betrayed Jesus. But it takes you opening up your heart and allowing him in and realizing there is nothing worth more than this. And coming to the realization that my worship is powerful. It's why the devil wants to rob you of it. If he can make your worship into a 10-minute segment on a Sunday morning, he has already won. So quiet, so good. If he can get you to minimize this powerful thing where you realize that as I sing words about the greatness of God, and as we said, as we magnify him, my problem becomes smaller. If the only time we do that is Sunday mornings, For 15 minutes, we've got it backwards. We've lost one of our greatest weapons. 
this kingdom that we have found, it is beautiful. If you've walked in here today and you don't know this Jesus, you have to know that there is an open invitation to live life in communion with him. And so in, in, the, in the book of Mark, <laughs> chapter 13, 44, I want to read this to you. I heard this this morning during worship. This is Jesus describing the kingdom of heaven. And he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered in a hidden field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything that he owned to get enough money to buy the field again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovers a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. What is he saying? When you truly find kingdom, now kingdom is only found in intimacy. I love that he said it was in a hidden place. Some of you, you will never find what this is talking about until you hide yourself. You will never find it. You can be around the greatest giants. You can be around the greatest people and the encouragers. But the, but the jewel, the treasure is found in the hidden place. It's simple. Some people, we talk about intimacy with the Lord and you think it's awkward. I don't get it. Maybe it's because, maybe it's because we've made so many things and we've categorized, like I said, church. But at the core of religion, what he wants from you is you. It's all he wants. You say, well, I'm not worthy. It has nothing to do with your worthiness. Jesus stood before God as you so you can stand before God as him. That means we boldly get to come into his throne room. Regardless of my garbage, we all got it. Regardless of the mistakes, we all make them. We get to come into his presence and experience his fullness. Well, I'm looking for the next step. That is the next step. Well, I need more answers. It's the only answer. Well, what am I supposed to do? Lock yourself in a room, turn on some music, and wait. Well, it feels awkward. Yeah, I get it. But at a certain point, at a certain point, as you sit in his presence, you will feel him come. How can I say that with such a surety? Because the Bible says when you seek him, you will find him. It's his promise that when I give my attention to him, it's why on Sunday mornings I never worry about, God, are you going to come? I don't ever worry about that because I know there's going to be one guy right here that's going to be going all in. That's me. I know my wife is going to be going all in. And at the very minimum, I got booed and Rachel. There's four. And all I need is three. It says where two or three are gathered. And there's many more. There's many more. But I know that God has brought people to this house that are hungry. And when you come into his house with no agenda except wanting him, he has the ability to do whatever he wants. And so you come into this place and you open up your heart and you say, in this moment, I'm just going to stop. And then it starts to feel awkward, right? Like, why is he going to say something? But the truth is there's power in silence. 
in a world that is go, 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 go. I'm awkward. I'm at a stoplight. I got to look at my phone. What's on Facebook? I'm doing this, and I got to go, and I got to go. And what's on Instagram? And we never have the capacity or the ability to just stop and to just say, God, in this moment, you understand, I'm even convicted that sometimes the music can be a distraction to you. That even sometimes you repeating, I don't know what else to call it except Paul calls it vain babblings. That because there are words on a screen and because you've heard them on the radio or on YouTube, you know the melody to the song and the words and you're saying them, but they're not getting into your heart. Because if it got into your heart, Listen, we're not here. You understand if you've been here long enough. We're not trying to tell you how to worship. We don't want robots. We're not interested. I'm not trying to tell you how to express your faith. But there is something about us coming in and singing, giving this offering, I'll bring you more than a song. I'll bring you more than a song. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. That just wrecks your heart. All the hardness. All the things that, that, that you don't understand. I, I have this worry. I have this worry. That sometimes the routine of religion would creep in. If you've been here long enough, you know that, that what God has given us here in this house is very pure. It is. Nothing's manufactured. Nothing's forced. And it just flows and it goes and people from people who've been in church forever to people who've never been in church, they meet the same Jesus and he wrecks them in the same way. And the Holy Spirit leads them and he guides them into all truth, which is Jesus. <laughs> but my worry is that sometimes we would come into church and that we've made it about the four songs, the offering, the preaching, and that we really miss the purpose of why we gather. My wife and I, we, my, my little girl just had her first birthday. A lot of you guys were there, thank you. And so we're planning all these birthdays. My son's birthday's in December. And we're planning all these birthday parties. And we've been to some birthday parties and y'all do amazing. I gotta stop because it makes, it makes like there's pressure now. So we're thinking like, man, we went to this birthday party. It was awesome. And this birthday, like, what, are we really just going to buy Judah a cake and put up a stringer? Are we that bad of parents? And so we're talking about, like, what are we going to do for Judah's birthday? It's got to be, we got to top it. No. And so we're, we're dialoguing, me and my wife, and then you start to think, man, like, let's say I wanted to throw my son an amazing birthday party. We're all going to Dave and Buster's, and everybody's getting tokens, and it's going to be awesome. Everybody can come. You, you can be assured that lots of people would come to the birthday because everybody likes arcade games. But then you got to ask yourself the question, did the people come for the birthday or did they come for the tokens? Thank you, whoever said that. And so you begin to wonder, right, like as a leader, can I just be vulnerable? You begin to wonder, as we do remodels and as we build and God will give us new buildings and as we do things, are people coming to church for the tokens? 
Like, is it because they love our worship? Or is it because they love the one we're singing worship unto? Is it because we come together and you feel motivated by my talk? Or is it because the talk has led you to see him in a new way? You understand what I'm saying? The motive. It's what's been on my heart for this week. And if we don't get the motive right, then we begin to ask, well, why am I doing? It's the reason that people, people love to, to crap on millennials. Millennials are not leaving church because they hate church. They're leaving church because they want real. So they'll leave, they will leave the show because they're not impressed by lights. They can go to a club. They're not impressed by your music because they hear it better on YouTube. If they want a good talk, go listen to a TED Talk. So the only thing we have at this point is that we would host, the only differentiating factor that we have is that we host his presence and that he would come in and do whatever he wants to do. I need you to understand. And worship is what ushers in his presence. It's why we've taken six weeks to talk about it, because I believe the Holy Spirit is looking on a place to land. Not a revival. Not a revival that lasts for, for six weeks, and then people start to get it twisted, so the Holy Ghost leaves. You understand? Read about how many times the Holy Spirit would crash in in Wales, in Brownsville, in Lakeland, all around the world where he crashes in. And things begin to happen. Meredith was just in Israel. Where are you, Meredith? There was oil that showed up on a guy's hands as they were worshiping. It just began to pour. And then he began to pray for people and people started to get healed. But it didn't start with him praying for oil. As they gathered and as they were worshiping, it simply just happened. Because there's something about worship. That it changes you. And when it changes you, it allows you to go out and change the world. So you sit and you wait and you allow your heart to shift and those things. And you've got to get past your dysfunction. It's why we, we wanted to stop and say, you have to look at him. Because the word is clear that you are made in his image. And if you are trying to become like him, then you have to see him. If you can't see him, then you don't know what you're becoming like. And so in our prayer meeting this morning, is this okay? <laughs> A family talk. This morning when we had our prayer gathering, we always gather together and, and our, our ministry, our prayer ministry leader, Melissa, was like, I had this vision of people, all of these people in our church, and she said, and then I saw Santa Claus. Everybody likes Santa. <laughs> Can't be mad at Santa. She said, and I saw people approaching. She said, and you know how usually when you go to a place like Judah will do this, he'll go to Santa, he doesn't even care about Santa. He's like, I want my toy. Like, I want a Woody, I want a Buzz. Are we done here? Are we good? She said, but as people were approaching him, they just wanted to be with him. 
So it was unique, right? They sat, and then they put their head on his chest, and they just wanted to be there. Now, I understand you read the Bible, and you have people you identify with. Like, it's easy to identify with David, the giant killer. You know, Paul, the crazy Peter, the guy cutting people's ear at all. Yeah, it's easy. But what if God is looking for a Mary of Bethany? What if there have been so many people that have been motivated to be seen by so many things that at this point where we are, he's simply just looking for somebody who would just simply look at him. That they would not look at the gift giver for the gift. (laughs) That they would not look at the miracle maker for the miracle. You understand? but that they would simply be in awe of him. And so we measure success lots of different ways. And we've talked about how God is redefining success. Last night, what happened in this room? Success. Where success would stop being about miracles where it would stop being about how many people we got saved so we can tally it up and send it to our denomination or whoever you want to send it to. That it would not be about how much money we raised for a building or how successful or how many people we had. But that success would solely be measured by am I loving him well? I know this is not like a hurrah servant. I get it. But there's this, there's like this, this thing happening on the body that as we focus on him, miracles will break out and cars will be given away and funds will come in and things will happen. But that we would always understand and we would always know that it only comes as we adore him. Only. It's the only way. And so in the Bible, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the people of God, they find themselves in this place and they're surrounded by the enemy. You gotta love the Bible because if your life sucks and you feel like an underdog, you could only identify. Every single battle that the people of God went into, every single one, they were underdogs. In the natural, every single time you're like, they're gonna get tore up. But every single time you would see God lead them into victory. And in this particular chapter, Jehoshaphat is there and he's king of the people. And the people, the evil people, they begin, the enemies begin to surround them. And the Bible is clear that he was afraid. He was terrified. He was terrified by the circumstances that life had brought at him. Are you you here? Are you with me? And so he called all the people to come together and he says, we're all going on a fast. Why do we go on a fast? Because in the middle of devastation, you have to have the ability to hear him. And so you have to drown out all the noise. And he gathers the people together and they come into a time of consecration and fasting so they can align their hearts with his. This is what's happening. And as they begin to worship, a prophetic word comes forward from somebody in the camp. Do not fear. For God is with us and he's given you the battle. 
And so at this point, you got to know, if God said it, it's about to go down. <laughs> so there's no more fear. We go. But something struck me, man, about his battle plan. Because when we strategize, it's like if I'm picking a basketball team, I'm picking the best people on the court. Picking the tallest guy, the fastest guy. But with God's strategy, it's always like he's picking the guy in the corner who nobody wants to pick. (laughs) And so instead of sending out the greatest, the strongest, he says, this is what we're going to do. We're about to send out the worshipers in the front. And we're going to go forward and we're going to take ground. And as you read the story, you begin to see that the power of their worship shifts. And they didn't even have to fight. What if, what if, what if all you needed to do to have victory over some, of the, over some of the situations that are driving you insane is to simply get on your knees and lift up your hands and look to heaven? What if all you needed to do was simply shift your focus off of the things you cannot control? Let me ask you, man, when was the last time worry worked for you? You just let me know. I'm real good at worrying by nature. I got white hairs, that's why my hair's short. But I come to the realization that sometimes even the situations I can control, it's better for me to just do this, God. In this moment, <laughs> even if I don't understand, I come into your throne room and I worship you. Can I show you the power of your worship? I want you to go to Acts. Let's do chapter 16, I believe. I'll give you a moment to get there because I want you to see this. Yeah, Acts 16. Acts 16, um, Paul's being called to a new place. And there's a man from Macedonia, and I want to lay the context so you understand. This is Paul's second missionary journey. A call comes forward from Macedonia saying, come to us. And so now Paul's on this journey, and he's on his way. Understand, he's commissioned from God. Say, he's commissioned. God spoke to him. God called him through a vision. We need to establish that. And so God calls him, and he's on his way. And as he is on his way, it says this. One day, verse 16, as they were going down to the place of prayer, they met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and Silas and the rest of us, shouting, These are men and servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. What she was saying was truth. Like there was no, it wasn't a false thing she was saying. What she was saying was true. And it says, this went on day after day and they got exasperated. I love that. (laughs) They got exasperated. So he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And instantly, this is the same power you have. (laughs) He turned and said, in the name of Jesus, leave. And the demon left. So let's establish a series of events. God has called Paul to go to Macedonia. Paul's on his way to Macedonia. On the way to Macedonia, he runs into a slave girl who has a demon. We on the same track? The demon is annoying her, as all demons should. 
So he turns around and he casts out the demon. How many of you would agree that everything that Paul has done up to this point is right? (laughs) Everything he's done is right. He's obeyed. He is followed. Everything he's done is right. But the next event that happens would kind of throw you by surprise because his his masters got mad. The slave girl's masters got mad. So they formed a riot. And the next thing they know, you find Paul and Silas in jail. Now, how many of you know when you're doing the right things and when you feel like you're being obedient and you find yourself in a maybe a metaphorical prison, it kind of makes you mad? I would venture to say that in these moments, you really get to find out what's inside of you. Anybody can worship God in obedience when everything's going right. Your bank account's fat, your work's going good. Your wife or husband aren't annoying you. Everything's great. Anybody can come in and be like, praise you, Jesus. But when you're doing everything right, and you have obeyed, you have left, you casted out demons, you're like, I'm on a roll. And then you find yourself in jail, you're in a whole different world. But when you enter into that moment, you have to see, you have to see this. You have to understand it. I don't care if you've been saved 45 years. If you don't have the ability to do this, you're a baby Christian. Are you looking at me like I'm crazy? <laughs> so they're in jail, and then it says this around midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining. Is that what it says? Paul and Silas were, no. At about midnight, in the prison cell with shackles on, not understanding, because God didn't say, hey, yo, you're going to go to prison. They were found praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening, so it wasn't only affecting them, it was now affecting everyone around them, because your worship shifts atmospheres. You could be in the midst of other people with shackles and chains, and your ability to express yourself in the midst of frustration brings freedom. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundation because true worship shakes things. When true worshipers arise, even the things that are meant to hold you back, they begin to become released. And it says this, and all the doors immediately flew open and the chains fell off every, say every. Every. This would have been a good story. If you would have read that scripture, it would have said, you found Paul and Silas worshiping and as they were worshiping, a little bit of shaking happened and Paul and Silas' chains fell off. It would have been awesome. We could have preached on that. But the fact that as they were worshiping, everybody's chains around them fell changes everything. Because now I get to see that in the midst of this dysfunctional situation, I do not understand. Why did I lose my job? Why did this happen? Why is this person talking crap? Why is this going on? In the middle of all that, when I worship, not only does it change my situation, but now the people around me are beginning to receive freedom. And they're beginning to see. And they're beginning to enter into sonship. And they're beginning to receive blessings. And it wasn't even because anything they did. Some of them probably even deserve to be in there. 
Take that with your theology. (laughs) Even the people who deserved to be in prison that day, they got freed. This is the power of worship. That as as we walk with him, it's not about Disneyland Christianity. Got to move past that. It's about as I take every step with him, in the middle of what I do not understand when my life is falling apart, I still have the maturity to do this. To enter into his courts with thanksgiving and praise and to allow my heart to enter into the holy place, which is the only place where I can be transformed. We talked last week, and I'll land here, how we have become really, 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 really good at making decisions based off of what makes us feel good. How many of you, how many of you in here have bought a house you didn't like? Yeah, I'll pay 160 grand for that. You didn't do it. We have been conditioned, every part of who we are in our culture, to accept what makes us feel good and reject what makes us feel bad. Can we agree on that? This is fine. Kind of. The only issue with this is when we come into church and somebody sings a song and it's a little bit too loud, pastor's on stage and he says something I didn't like, shutting off. This is the culture we've created. And so then we have people who leave churches and then they begin to talk about the church. I got to tell you, the church is his bride. He didn't say small groups are my bride. He didn't say communal gatherings. All of it's good. The church, the ecclesia, is his bride. And so no matter how broken she is, we don't get to talk about her. If you don't come with solutions, you are a part of the problem. And so we've conditioned ourselves to accept what we love and reject what makes us feel uncomfortable. And so then we come to God with our lives and we look up biblical commands to make sure that we're not going directly against what he said. So we talk, we come to God and we say, is this acceptable? Like, will you take this little life? And I wonder what it would look like for us to have a shift where instead of us coming to him and making sure that he can cope with our dysfunction, that we can start with what does it really look like to live a life that pleases you? Even if it means embracing things that I don't understand. Even if it means going through, through some seasons where God's rubbing off some, you know the real reason I think why? I think we don't want to go there because sometimes ignorance feels better than disobedience. We want to think about it. We want to feel it. Because if I stay in this little bubble that makes me feel good, then I don't have to deal with the fact that I'm bringing God an offering. Oh, this was a lot on my heart today. I'm sorry. 
But it's because I see a church, and we were talking about this last night, where we continually bring God our lives, right? Continually. Like, you, didn't just, you don't just bring God your life when you first get saved. It doesn't stop. The Bible says we give ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable and pleasing unto him. This is a continual act. And so your worship displays his worship, meaning the way you treat him will display how you really feel about him. When I look at my son, I know which choice he likes and which ones he doesn't. The ones he loves, he's holding hands with. The ones he doesn't like are the ones he's shooting. <laughs> they, they, they dead, Dada. They dead. It's clear. Buzz never gets dead. It sounds silly, but it's so simple. Because when we prioritize and when we set God, you can come up, Cove. When we set God and we give him the right place, it's evident. It's evident. It's evident what stirs our hearts. It's evident what we're moved. That's why some people run from presence. Why? Because presence always reveals heart. Always. The presence of God is both diagnostic and prescriptive. The moment you come in, his presence like puts the check engine light on. Boop. But the beautiful thing about it is that he, he gives you the solution. How much would it suck if you came in and it was like you realized all your problems, but there was no solutions? The beautiful, the beautiful thing about this gospel is that we come in and we see. Let's be real. You don't even have to come in here to see maybe some of your dysfunctions. <laughs> But the moment you see them, he shows you a new way, a new path, and he invites you in. So I want to pray over your heart today, and then we're going to do some baptisms, amen? Oh, man. I just want to leave you with one question, man. What does, what does, I want you to think about this. What does your worship say about his worship. What does the way you live your life speak about the way you feel? If out of your life is flowing anger, if out of your life is flowing depression, if out of your life is flowing things that are not of him, then, then you need some heart surgery. <laughs> And the truth is, God can do that right now. Right now, he can touch your heart. And it's as simple as just coming to him and saying, God, I open up my heart and I receive whatever, whatever you have for me. If that's love, if that's joy, if that's peace, whatever you have for me today, God, I open up my heart. And so why don't you put your hand on your heart right now so I could pray. 
I'm going to ask you to not disengage from this moment. But I'm going to ask you to be real with yourself. You don't even have to be real with the person next to you. Be real with yourself. Is there something on your heart right now that has attached itself, that has stopped you from the ability to be, as Paul and Silas, worshiping? What hurt, what disappointment, what pain? What expectation? And so, Father, right now, God, whatever it is that comes to mind, whatever it is that comes to mind, God, we just give it to you, Lord. God, I thank you that you called us to be a church, God, that is real. This wouldn't be about playing games and going through the motions, but that we would, we would really, truly engage with you and understand that you have a plan for our lives, God. That we could worship you with our whole heart and that as we worship you, God, that you come in and you change. So right now, God, I speak healing over every heart, over every mind, every heart and every mind right now. We speak healing. And God, I ask that you, would, that you would encourage them. That they would leave today here feeling lighter. No matter how they walked in, God, I thank you that there's freedom. There's freedom. Even right now, there's freedom. So Lord, we wait. gonna let you sit for just a moment man maybe this is the first time you've just sat and tried to connect with him maybe you feeling I don't know what you're feeling but I just want to encourage you to let God in let him in right now we let you in we let you in that? 